Today on Blue 58, the Packers have re-signed a regular contributor, extending the contract of Dean Lowry. Was that a good idea? Let's discuss. Then on the eve of training camp, we need to talk about one big question. What kind of team are the Packers going to be? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode, and what a good one it is going to be. First and foremost, though, need to apologize for the interruption in the schedule late last week. There were some, let's say, creative differences between myself and the new co-host who I introduced last week as well. In hindsight, it was probably a little bit optimistic to think that we were going to get a, a recording in on Thursday, but... Them's the breaks. That happens sometimes, and it may happen going forward. So in light of that, I would like to make two promises to you. First, if it can at all be helped, I will do my very best to get out a podcast on our current schedule. So Wednesdays and Fridays up until the regular season gets underway. And then, uh, then we'll we'll move things around a little bit from there. That could be tweaked slightly depending on how these preseason games go. We're a ways away from that, though. So, so. Uh, don't need to worry about that just yet. But figure on the schedule being being regular going forward. Should there be an interruption, though, it's just going to happen, and uh, we'll try to make that as rare as possible. But if it happens, I'm not going to not going to sweat it a whole lot. It, it, that's how things work when you've got a new kid in the house, and sometimes things don't go according to plan. But the second part of that promise is this: if we do in fact do a recording, as we're doing right now. I promise you it's going to be, you know, full go here. We're not going to just get in the studio to try to get something done. If it doesn't look like I can give you everything I've got for an episode, we're just not going to do it. We're going to come back the next time and try to stay on the schedule from there. There may be some bumps in the road. We'll try to minimize them. But if we're going to be here doing episodes, they're going to be the best episodes that I can possibly make. Sound good? Good. Let's talk about Dean Dean Lowry. The Packers gave their former mid-round draft pick a contract extension today. Three years, $20 million, about $6 million in guaranteed money. First blush, I think I like this deal. Um, Rotational, solid, dependable players are hard to find. Uh, You try to avoid turnover on your roster if possible, especially if you have guys who can get the job done, and Dean Lowry has shown that he can get the job done. So there's a lot to like about this here. But let's look at get some, not so much pros and cons, but good things and things you might have some questions about. Let's put it that way. The good things first. Let's start with the good. First, like I said, solid rotational guy. He's missed one game in the regular season in the balance of his career to date. That's pretty solid. You'll like that. Uh, he's playing more and more snaps every year. As a rookie, he was only on the field for 15% of the snaps the Packers played, but that was up to 46% his second year, 2017, and uh, that climbed to 65% last year. That was the second most among defensive linemen on the Packers. Pretty good. And he doesn't screw it up for you when he's out there either. He doesn't put up big numbers, but he doesn't really ruin your day either, if that's how... uh, that's how he's going to be. Or if if that's the group you're going to have out there, Dean Lowry isn't going to be the guy who's ruining plays for you. In fact, he may just get in the way often enough that he's worth keeping out there more often than not. That's been the case, at least in the increasing, or as his career has gone on, increasingly that's been the case. He's been out there more often than he's not been out there. He's a better athlete than he probably gets credit for. Uh, we talked about that as he came out in the in the draft. He or after he was drafted, excuse me, early on in the power sweep era. Um, he's a better athlete than people give it credit for. They see kind of a stubby looking 
a little bit chunky, a little bit oddly shaped white dude, I think. And you, the first impression is probably not a super great athlete, but he, among defensive linemen, is pretty good, pretty explosive, uh, not necessarily fast, like 40-yard dash fast, but overall a pretty good athlete. Plus, he's versatile. He has the length to play defensive end. He's strong enough to play inside on pass rushing down. So all of that is good. All of that seems to point to a guy that you would want to keep around. And if you can do it at a relatively affordable price, that's not too bad. But that kind of brings us to the things you might have some pause about. I overall, I think, am a fan of the number that he got here. Three years, $20 million, raw numbers, that looks pretty good. But when you start slotting it into this spring's free agency market, it doesn't look quite as good. Among defensive linemen, it looks like there were pretty much three tiers last year. There was the plus $30 million tier. This doesn't include the edge rusher types, I should add. This is pure like defensive end, defensive tackle types. So among the pure defensive linemen types, according to SpotTrack.com, there were three players who signed deals worth $30 million or more. Trey Flowers, who had the real big one, Sheldon Richardson, and Malik Jackson, all $30 million or more. Malik Jackson is the floor of that market. Then there were an additional three players who signed deals between $23 million and $25 million, Henry Anderson, Justin Houston, and Cameron Wake. Then there were a whole bunch of players who signed lesser deals than that, but there were four notable ones who signed contracts worth between 10 and just about $18 million. So at three years and $20 million, Dean Lowry is right between the second and third tiers. But the guys that are in that third tier are guys like Henry Anderson for the New York Jets, Justin Houston, and Cameron Wake. Houston and Wake are the interesting ones there because those are the guys that are getting relatively good. These are third or even fourth contracts for them. But they are exclusively pass rushers, and they're getting deals that are not that much more expensive than what Lowry is getting. That's enough to give me pause for just a second. Now, Lowry isn't there yet, and the market will probably rise to kind of pass him up. But had he been on the free market and gotten that deal, you might wonder just for a second what's so special about Dean Lowry. Not a big deal, but something that I'm thinking about. Then, I wonder what this means for Blake Martinez. I think there's a lot of good comparisons between Lowry and Martinez. Both of them are probably more athletic than they're given credit for, though Lowry, among his peers, is certainly a lot more athletic than Martinez is among his. his. They're both reliable, on the field a lot, assignment sure, just get things done, they do their job, but they don't necessarily do a lot more than their job. They're not necessarily blowing up plays left and right. If Lowry's contract is a bit of a bellwether for Martinez, it looks like he may be getting a deal sooner than later. If not... Does that lead to some hurt feelings uh, if there's no deal in the relatively near future? I think I'm still on the kind of unsure about re-signing Blake Martinez bandwagon, but um, if they could get it, get him at a deal that's comparable to what Dean Lowry got today, I might be a little bit more agreeable to that. But I think they do kind of play off of one another um, in that they're, they are very similar in the sort of ways that they play at their positions. Still, overall, a fan of this, I think it's going to prove to be a pretty good deal, even if the the early contract numbers aren't necessarily your favorite. Um, I think it's pretty palatable long term. Let's switch gears and talk about the Packers as a whole. 
I was grateful for the Dean Lowry news today because I don't have a ton of takes. I don't have a ton of opinions right now as we head into training camp. I've kind of done all the opinions uh, throughout most of the offseason. We need some more stuff to happen before we can talk about what it means and stuff. And I think just about everybody in the Packers media community is kind of at that point by now. They should be. There's not a lot to talk about before we actually have some football going on. So let's have some football already. Okay, but it's Tuesday night when I'm recording this. We haven't had any football yet, so we've got to talk about some other things. Namely, what kind of team are the Packers in 2019? This is the sort of thing I like to do when I don't have an opinion. Let's think out loud about something instead and think about what this might mean for the Packers going forward. This question, I think, is more important than people might realize. This really, to me, helps set expectations. And setting expectations is crucially important. That's been a big deal, big part of what we've done at the Power Sweep. We want to make sure we're evaluating people according to what we expect from them. So what do we expect from the Packers this year? Well, that starts with figuring out what sort of team they are. This is also crucially important for understanding what the team is in relation to what it could be. If you see the Packers as a team that could be scoring 35 points a game, you think that's their identity, you think that's the team that they should be, that will color your expectations and your evaluations accordingly. If you're the sort who thinks the Packers should be grinding out, grinding out like 12 to 9 wins every week, this that too will affect your opinion of the team. This is also important for seeing and uh, calling out the differences between what the team is and what the team seems to think that it is. This is something that we've talked about throughout this offseason as well. The Packers pretty clearly think that they are just about all the way there on offense and that the only problem last year was Mike McCarthy. We know that because the only things they've really added on offense to this point are Billy Turner, a guard or tackle, Elton Jenkins, a guard or center, who may not even play this year, and Jay Sternberger, a tight end who probably really shouldn't play a whole lot this year. Other than that, just about everything on offense is the same other than Matt LaFleur. They were pretty clear about what they thought on the offense. They thought they were pretty well good. That's what the Packers think about themselves. What they actually are may be far different than that. We may be looking at them eight weeks from now and thinking, boy, it would have been nice to have a little bit more help come in on offense throughout this offseason because they could really use it right now. That's why we do this exercise here. Furthermore, teams do have an identity. They do have a style or archetype that's unique to them. A lot of times I think the kind of flattened media landscape, the NFL red zoning of the league um, has kind of led to this idea that all teams are basically the same. And to a large point, they, they kind of are. A lot of teams are pretty much the same. They function very similarly. They run similar offenses. And yet there are key differences between every team. Year to year, even, teams can have very different identities. And I think this is one thing that goes underappreciated, if there is such a thing, about the New England Patriots and their run that they've been having. I think too often they're presented as this team that's just been Tom Brady and Bill Belichick dominating the league in one particular way year after year after year. But that's just patently false. If you look at how the Patriots have played over their run that they've had, they've been a virtually 
completely different team from one year to the next, or at least three or four year era to the next three or four year era. They're constantly changing. They are reshaping their identity. Early on in their whatever run, dynasty, whatever you want to call it, they were built almost entirely around suffocating defense. Remember that first Super Bowl they played against the St. Louis Rams? Tom Brady only completed 16 passes. He completed more passes in that win over the Oakland Raiders than he did in the next two playoff games the Patriots played combined. He picked, he threw 32 completions, or he completed 32 passes in their first game against the, the Raiders, then just 12 against the Steelers, then just 16 against the Rams. He was not the focal point of their offense. He was not the focal point of the team. It was the defense. It was all about the defense. Tom Brady didn't have a passer rating higher than 86.2 until his sixth postseason game. He was basically a completely average playoff quarterback, aside from that key drive at the end of the the St. Louis game, blah, blah, blah. You know the story. He got to be that kind of quarterback because the, the Patriots didn't need him to be the game winner game in and game out, they could rely on their defense and just have Brady not screw it up for him. And he was really good at not screwing it up for him. But towards the middle of his career, think Randy Moss era, they were an offensive juggernaut. They were a great offense the year that they nearly went undefeated. And now as Tom Brady has really begun to age and perhaps show a little bit of his age, they've become a team geared around making things easy as easy as possible for their quarterback. Let him make easy decisions. Give him easy reads. Just let him be as efficient as possible and allow him to make those plays when they're out there at those key moments. And I think you saw that in their win over the Rams in the Super Bowl. He was pretty average at best for most of that game, but when they absolutely had to have it late, he came up big for them. That was their identity. They were constructed in such a way that they could do that. Determining what the Packers' identity is is not something we're going to be able to do conclusively until probably the end of the season. The midway point, maybe a quarter of the way through the season, possibly. But I think it's worth having the conversation now to think about what sort of teams they could be. So I'd like to talk about three possibilities as to what the Packers could be. What is their what is their team identity here? First, they could be the classic Packers passing offensive juggernaut. This, personally, is the one I'd like most to see. If you got hyper-efficient Aaron Rodgers back, combining with Devontae Adams, uh, with uh, Aaron Jones throwing some stuff in there, just put up some big passing numbers, a lot of points, just blow everybody out of the water and win on Sundays that way. That is something that the Packers could be, and that's something that I would like to see the Packers be. And I think there's a chance this could be what the Packers actually are this year. There's a lot to like on offense. You've got Aaron Rodgers healthy. You've got Devontae Adams coming off a big year ready for more. You've got young wide receivers ready to take another step. You've got Jimmy Graham looking for redemption, an offensive line that's coming in healthy and well-equipped. You've got a modernized offense with Matt LaFleur. You've got Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams and Dexter Williams ready to contribute as running backs in a variety of roles. There's a lot to like there, and there's a chance you can see it that they could be an elite offense once again. But there's also some reasons that might not be what the Packers are this year. Aaron Rodgers is aging. That's not to say that he's playing more poorly or anything like that because of his age, but he is getting older. It's just a fact of life. It happens to all of us. But as he ages, he could become less capable of carrying an offense. 
You've also got Matt LaFleur coming in with a more run-heavy system. That's just what he has traditionally done. That's what the Shanahan tree, the Shanahan branch of the West Coast offense has traditionally been. And we remember, he's not a Sean McVay guy as much as he is a Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan guy. That's where he comes from. Those are his roots. Just because he was with Sean McVay for a year doesn't change any of that. That's where he came up. He is the the, the wide zone uh, type offensive coach. And he might want to do something that's a little bit more like that. Then he might just have Matt LaFleur himself. He may not want to be a super pass-heavy team. He may want to be a more, not ground and pound, but running the ball, uh, trying to establish the run, if you believe that's a thing, um, that kind of coach. And he may just not want to do the big-time passing game. That's fine, but it just may get in the way of the Packers being the historical uh, uh, offensive juggernaut that they've been. Second, I think it's possible, and we hinted at it in this last topic, that the the Packers could be a more run-heavy team, going run-heavy to allow their quarterback, as he ages, to just rely on his efficiency and experience. This is kind of the New Orleans Saints model. Ask less of the quarterback so he can do more when you do ask things of him. This could be a fit for the Packers because of some of the things that Matt LaFleur has said he wants to run the ball. He believes in running the ball. And if the Packers can run the ball, and there's no reason to think that they can't right now, I don't think, I hope, um, this could be a good model for them. They could just let Aaron Rodgers throw the ball 28 times a game instead of 40 times a game and get some more efficient or reliable or less stressful for the passing game yards on the ground. I don't know if that's a thing you really want to bank on, but it's possible. That could be a way that they could go. You've also got a stable of running backs that, if not uber-talented top to bottom, is at least well-positioned to succeed in this offense. Aaron Jones is obviously a very talented player and has, uh, has shown that even in small doses, he can be pretty effective. Jamal Williams, while not a flashy player, doesn't take a lot off the table for you, and Dexter Williams seems pretty much tailor-made for uh, fitting in with this sort of offensive system that Matt LaFleur wants to run. Why not? Well, there are good reasons why this might not be the best sort of archetype for the Packers this year. First, you got Aaron Rodgers, and if you've got Aaron Rodgers, one of the most efficient quarterbacks statistically that has ever lived, you might as well let him cook. Let him do his thing. Let him do what he does through the air on offense, and Try to score points the way the Packers have scored points in the not-too-distant past, throwing the ball and throwing it well. You've also got some questions about that running back group. Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and Dexter Williams each have some concerns there. Aaron Jones has not been super durable in his NFL career to date. Jamal Williams, while he doesn't take a lot off the table for you, doesn't necessarily bring all that much to the table either. And Dexter Williams, while seemingly pretty much a good fit for this offense is still just a rookie and you don't want to lean too hard on rookies if you don't have to. Why build your offense around something like that? A position group that seems liable to break down. And if one of those three guys do goes down, suddenly you're you know back to Capri Bibbs or something like that. I know he's not on the team anymore, but he would be a guy who'd be out there that they may be interested in bringing in. Finally, there is the defense-centric archetype here. This one seems like a long shot, but maybe not as much of a long shot as they might think. This is where you have a defense that does so much that your offense can 
just kind of do whatever. They're just going to score what they score, and that'll probably be enough because your defense is just so good. There is a long shot possibility, but a possibility nonetheless that this is what the Packers are thinking they are this year. Just look at their resource allocation through this offseason. They signed three big-time free agents and spent two first-round picks all on defense. Zadarius and Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, Rashawn Gary, and Darnell Savage. That's a pretty big defensive makeover for a team that may not be thinking of itself as a defense-heavy squad. I know the defense was not in great shape before they spent all that money and all that draft capital on it, but still, unless you're thinking seriously about having defense be a central part of your identity, it's hard to justify spending all of that, maybe some of it, but not all of it, on defense. You've also got Mike Pettin heading into year two of his defense, and the bulk of the defense is coming back. You've got Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Kevin King, Tremont Williams just in the secondary. And the list goes on. There's plenty more players who will benefit from just being around uh, Mike Pettin for another year. It's hard to not see them taking a jump. And maybe if they take enough of a jump, defense just kind of becomes their identity. But this one is a bit of a fraught proposition too. It's tough to build your defense or your team around a defensive identity when you've got a really, really young defense. And it seems like the Packers, despite those veteran acquisitions, are going to be leaning pretty hard on quite a few young players. Jair Alexander and Kevin King at corner, for instance, Darnell Savage at safety, Rashawn Gary uh, at the edge rusher position, whatever they call that in this defense. Outside linebacker is his official designation, but you know, you've got words like Leo and Edge and just, you know, flat out linebacker. Maybe he's a def- defensive end. Who really knows? It's kind of an amoeba like defense anyway with Mike Pettin. But it's tough to have a super elite defense when you've got a lot of super young guys out there. And it looks like the Packers will have a lot of youth on defense this year. Second, it's just too hard to be truly elite. Elite enough that defense could really be your identity. Look at the run of good fortune that the Bears had to have last year to really have a super, super elite defense. They kept everybody on their defense healthy for pretty much 16 games in a row. That is super hard to do. It's so hard to do that it's really hard to give them credit for doing it. It might have just been something that happened to them. They had a lot of talented players on defense, but that they were available all year is hardly something that you can give the Bears a whole lot of credit for. So much has to go right to keep all those guys out there that you know you might as well just thank your lucky stars when it happens, and the Bears certainly should. They had a great defense last year, but a lot of it happened because they didn't have to deal with a lot of adversity among their defense. Should the Packers deal with a couple key injuries, should a couple edge rushers go down, suddenly they're looking pretty thin there. If uh, Kenny Clark gets hurt, they don't have a whole lot up the middle behind him. That is a fair question. And if they start piling those injuries up, you're a little concerned about what happens next. Finally, there's just the plain fact that it's super hard at a practical level to be elite on defense because the league doesn't seem to want anybody to be elite on defense. I'm not the first to point out that uh, the NFL with rule changes and whatnot makes it harder and harder and harder to be a defensive player in their league. And that's fine if that's where they want to go, but if you're building your defense in a particular way, that can be a little bit of a headache. And hopefully the Packers aren't hamstrung by that too much. I don't think they will be, but It's at least something to keep in mind as you're building your team. Maybe don't build your team around the side of the ball that the NFL is consciously making it harder to play. 
What is the Packers' actual identity? We don't know, and we're not going to know for some time. But I think it is important to start thinking about what they could be now so that we can evaluate how this goes from a more, I don't want to say enlightened, but more more considered position as this process goes on. I'm excited to see it unfold, and I hope you are as well. Football season, for all intents and purposes, is here. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your patience as we address uh, just to this new uh, new paradigm for us here. New addition to the team. Still very excited. It's been great so far, but, uh, but thank you for bearing with us. If you like what you heard and you want to help support the show, the best way to do that is leaving a review and ratings on iTunes or whatever app you use that allows you to rate things that does help more people find the show if you want to take your support to the next level head us head over to patreon.com slash the power sweep donate a dollar a month that helps offset some of our hosting costs and uh, helps us keep producing some of the fine content that you see here Uh, if you want to go further than that we offer a great selection of fine t-shirts and sweatshirts click the shop link at thepowersweep.com to find those out if you just want to say hi reach out whatever find us on social media email, or the contact page at thepowersweep.com. We do love to hear from you, and every question you ask, every bit of feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps us further our mission of making people smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.